This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. William Carasino, Chief Medical Informatics Officer at Lee Health in Fort Myers, Florida. Dr. Carasino, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. Happy to be here. Before we jump into the questions, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. I was originally from the Northeast, New York, New Jersey. I trained in New York City at Mount Sinai, where I served as Chief Neurology Resident. I worked in uh, in ambulatory and inpatient neurology in New Jersey for about five years before um, moving to uh, sunny southwest Florida in Lee County. In Lee County, I, I worked in the largest neurology practice in town. We had inpatient and ambulatory responsibilities. Uh, during uh, the course, I became board certified in neurology. I saw a passion in myself for uh, medical technology informatics, and I uh, accepted a position initially as medical director of informatics at Lee Health, uh, where I became certified in clinical informatics, board certified in clinical informatics, and ultimately uh, I moved uh, about six years ago to the full-time position of chief medical informatics officer. Well, fantastic. I'm glad that we're having you here today, and I look forward to connecting with you further about some of the big topics um, in clinical informatics. First off, what are your top priorities today, and how do you see them changing in the future? So I have a, a, a top priority in each of my areas of ownership at this point in time, and, and one is with um, medical informatics. We're involved in provider satisfaction and engagement, and uh, I've, I've said this several times in that the current um, tools available to a practicing physician are approaching overwhelming. Uh, when I went to medical school, um, we had stethoscopes and, and ultrasounds and, and other technology, but now we have so much technology in, in our electronic medical record that it daunts anything that's come before us. Uh, the ability to look at clinical decision support and be able to look at old records and synthesize using decision support, uh, as well as access to the internet, journals, and, um, and uh, other other content vendors is, is just immense. And it's, it's, it, it always amazes me how providers um, and patients think that within a short office visit, they could really get, take advantage of all the potential information available about the patient specifically and about the patient's disease that can correlate to the patient. So we are involved in EPIC, um, we, or EPIC is our EHR, and uh, EHR, um, education, technology education, reports to me. So, you know, my type priorities is always trying to figure out how to best educate providers on use of the electronic health record for optimum provider satisfaction and, and decreased burnout, as well as patient care. Uh, we also have the medical informatics team. So one of my top priorities is, is improving the electronic health record to better apply this technology for patient outcomes. Yes, we need the physicians not to be burned out so they can use these technologies and techniques well, but at the end of the day, we work for patient outcomes. So the electronic health record was touted as safety, as, as additional uh, informatic uh, information availability, and one of, my, one of my top priorities is optimizing both of those features. Another second most important in my mind is interoperability. We are close to having a, a fairly, a really nice and seamless web of information. So there's various techniques where computers, EHRs of one group and computers and EHRs of another group connect. 
I've had personal experiences in my own family, and I still practice as a hospitalist, a neurology hospitalist, mm-hmm. and I, I have a number of examples where I'm able to um, pick up and see records uh, from a patient who has approved me to look for those records that really, really expedite the care. I, I do less testing. I get them out of the hospital sooner, and I communicate with their providers uh, in, a, in a more uh, efficient and effective way. Uh, this is this decreases patient frustration. It decreases physician frustration, and it definitely improves care. So the more we can work on interoperability, and we we've 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 turned on interoperability, and the EMR vendors and the HR vendors have turned on interoperability. But the 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 boots on the ground, the the providers in the offices, have not engaged it at the rate that we'd like to see it. I just did a study a survey within our area, and it's fairly low of of physicians and providers who actually use that interoperability data for direct patient care. And I think that's clearly one of my top priorities. Uh, the other the other team that reports to me is the telehealth or virtual care. And we've been working on this since 2017. Um, my practice and myself did a number of uh, telestroke um, uh, engagements for our hospital system. And um, and it is still somewhat fragmented. We are moving in a great direction to, to integrate in a seamless fashion the ability for a hospital visit, for an ancillary visit, for a, for a PCP discharge touch point to all start to be integrated. We now have one vendor, and we are on the road to seamless multi-situation integration between the ambulatory office, the acute care office, the population health folks, as well as the ancillary providers, uh, dietary, physical therapy. We're also looking to go toward in-room devices. Uh, with this vendor, we're looking at buying their hardware so that we can, in one device, we can have television, local television, infotainment regarding the patient's diseases uh, or, um, um, or, or video games, as well as the ancillary engagements I mentioned, provider visits, and as well as PCP touch points. Wouldn't it be nice if on discharge we were able to ring up your, your PCP ambulatory provider and say, hey, they're in the hospital, they're getting ready to come out of the hospital, you know, be ready to catch this patient and, and, and hope they don't uh, uh, struggle with their uh, transition from inpatient to outpatient. So those are my top priorities. Well, thank you so much for going through those with us. I think it's particularly fascinating to see, as you mentioned, how the process with being able to connect with patients and get their information is becoming more seamless, but there's still a lot of potential and opportunity for clinicians to really utilize interoperability and and make care a little bit easier for patients as well. Now, what are you most excited about today and what makes you nervous? Same thing, population health. Population health is, is, is absolutely exciting and it's, it's absolutely nerve wracking for me because there, there's, so many, there's so many different ways uh, to put this together. When I was in medical school and residency, there was one way, right? You learned the way. And you, if you look at most physicians, they come out of training fairly homogenized. Now, after that, they all have personalities. We all have families. We all have struggles and stresses and things change. But you know, the, 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 when I trained as a physician, you, you came out of training fairly homogenized. Whereas population health, there's no, there's no one solution. I'm excited for the fact, just I spoke about interoperability and discharge data and the ability to communicate in a seamless fashion that fits the patient via telehealth and using the techniques with informatics that actually uh, improve patient outcomes. Try to do that across 40 different EMRs. I don't know how many uh, insurance companies that are out there and just try to integrate that. It just makes me excited to see that we actually could have the, a more even, more fair 
more uh, helpful and useful uh, uh, communication and, um, and, and linkage. And it also makes me nervous because you know, historically uh, physicians have been compensated on productivity and RVU. We still call a productive doctor the one who, who has what some of the highest RVUs. I'm not sure that I ever believe that. And perhaps that's what's nice about population health because the more productive doctor is the one who keeps his patients in better health than out of the hospital. So trying to ride those that seesaw uh, makes me nervous. And, I, and there are going to be people who <laughs> fall off that seesaw following that analogy, and it is a very difficult ride. Um, our CEO describes it as curve one and curve two. As you go from, from volume to value, you, you have a nadir uh, where you, you struggle, both with, with the application of clinical and uh, care, as well as the uh, financial concerns. And we have approached the nadir and come back from the nadir. We, we're seesawing back and forth. But uh, I think the concept of population health is a fabulous one. Just the, the, way, and the, the way we're going to get there and the time it's going to take makes me concerned. That makes sense. Thank you so much for describing that to me. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask you about leadership. What's your top pieces of advice for aspiring clinical leaders today? So I'm going to separate clinical leaders versus a, versus a physician leader um, from, from a non-physician leader. I, I think the physician leader is one of the keys is you have to follow your passion. Okay. There just was an, a leadership course um, and I'm not, an, I'm not an equestrian. But the, the, the philosophy fits so nicely, I really enjoyed it. Apparently, you can't make a horse do what it doesn't want to do. So it's your body language, your, your management of the horse is what the horse uh, understands. And they said, you know, you, you really need to do to get a horse to go somewhere. You look between the horse's ears. You look, and one of the things you need to know, you need to know where you want to go. You need to know where you want to go and what's going to fuel that journey before you begin it. Otherwise, you're going to, that horse is going to drive you in circles. Um, take leadership courses. Leadership is a different skill than you're taught in medical school. Some people are natural born leaders. I, I have met very few. Um, but the idea is, is you're interested and you have a passion, you want to affect um, the care of your population in, in greater chunks of, of, of patients, uh, hundreds of patients, thousands of patients, rather than one at a time. Uh, it is a good way to become a clinical leader and, and take courses. The um, American Association of Physician Leaders and others have uh, certified physician executive courses, and I've heard it called a physician's MBA. So if you want to be a physician leader, you, you aspire to be a physician leader, but you don't really need or desire the, the financial acumen that may be provided by a classical MBA, then the CP may be uh, what you're looking for. And I haven't done this yet, but I'm seriously considering hiring an executive coach. Um, you know, the way people perceive you helps you get your job done. So historically, physicians, we get our job done because we, we, we follow the literature, we engage the patients. Uh, but at the end of the day, your patient doesn't believe you. They're not going to do it. The same thing happens in leadership. If you can't interact with your, 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 your uh, uh, leadership partners and you can't create meaningful and useful dyads, you will get very little done. So how you're perceived and how your, your information comes across is something that you can't always just look in the mirror to, uh, to understand, and executive coaches are there for that reason. Dr. Carasino, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion today. I really appreciate your time, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Thank you very much.